0: In a, in a message on John chapter one, uh, about a month ago or so, uh, it, the emphasis in John one or James one twenty two was to do the word, put it into practice. And I said, if you told me you're putting God's word into practice, I'd be so excited. I would do cartwheels. But then after that, I realized, well, I can't do a cartwheel, but I could do a jumping jack. And, and so I'm going to do five today. So I'm going to share you what they are. But you got to know that this is a limited time offer. You know, I can't be doing jumping jacks the rest of my life, so this this week we'll wrap up the jumping jacks, but we're not going to wrap up doing God's Word, are we? We're going to keep applying it and putting it into practice in our lives all the time. So let let me just share the things that came to me this week. Pastor Dave saw Jody picking up trash in front of our church. (laughs) So Jody, I mean, that's beyond the call of duty, so I thank you for doing that and I'm going to do a jumping jack. All right. Paul Huizinga. Oh, thanks. All right. We'll see what I can do here. Paul Heisinga said, someone said something unkind, but I held my tongue and counted to a hundred. So he must have been really mad. So I'm going to do a jumping jack for that. Noah uh, got it. Think before you speak, that acrostic, remember that Noah? And also the toothpaste that's squeezed out like our words, the words come out, but can you put the toothpaste back in the, in the t- tube? No, you can't. The words are there, they're out there. So he was thinking about that and applying that. Jay Sean and Jahan have been telling their parents, Anita and Arthur, are you guys here? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're speaking the word of God back to them and what they've heard at home and been instructed in, they're, they're saying that back to their parents and telling even people out in public, God bless you. So that's awesome that young kids are putting God's word into practice. So, I'm gonna do five jumping jacks and one... I want you to picture a little puddle jumper airplane. You got that image in your mind, a little prop plane. On board was the pilot. The world's smartest man. A retired pastor and a Boy Scout. Somewhere in flight, both engines of the plane had difficulties, malfunctions. The plane was going down. Unfortunately, there were only three parachutes on board of which the pilot quickly grabbed one and said, I'm a father with three young children. I hope you'll understand why I have to take a parachute. And he jumped. The world's smartest man quickly grabbed a parachute or quickly grabbed a bag and jumped. The retired minister said to the Boy Scout, look, you're young. You have your whole life ahead of you. You take the last parachute. And the Boy Scout told the retired minister, the world's smartest man didn't take a parachute. He took my backpack. (laughs) He was really smart, but not very wise. Some of you may have heard of Yogi Berra. I know Ted has. Catcher for the New York Yankees. He was known as a philosopher of sorts. Here's some of the things Yogi Berra has said over the years. It's not over till it's over. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Don't follow the crowd. Nobody goes there anymore because it's too crowded. Baseball is 90% mental and the other half physical. A nickel ain't worth a dime now. Stay alert. You can observe a lot by watching and I never said most of the things I said. Yogi Bera wasn't exactly Solomon, was he? We're going to look at our text this morning, James chapter 3, 13 to 18. We're going through the book of James, verse by verse. And we're getting a lot out of it, I think. It's a, it's a very practical book of, of the Bible. James 3, 13 to 18 on wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct... Let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, James has already talked about wisdom in chapter one. You remember in verse five, he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and it will be given to him. As you interpret a passage of scripture, you always want to know what's the context. And in this passage, I think, goes back to chapter three, verse one about teachers. Let me read that verse. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Those Christians who are called and gifted by God should teach. I think there were probably false teachers around the churches that James is writing to, and he, he warned them and us that as someone teaches, listen to their words. Listen to the things we say. And now James is admonishing them, listen to and watch their life. As, does their conduct match their words? There are consequences for following bad leaders. We've seen that in recent history very well. Followers of James. Jones and David Koresh come to mind. So choose your teachers wisely. In verse 13, James uses two technical terms, sophists and epistinon, which mean wise and understanding. Again, I'm thinking he's referring back to the teachers in 3.1 and saying that there are some teachers that are wise and understanding, and some are not. Some teachers have good conduct. Others don't. So let's look at the unwise teachers first. What should you be watching for? Are there any signs of those who are teaching in your life? Maybe it's a podcast you're listening to. You have your favorite YouTube teacher, your favorite author. What, what are some signs that maybe will tip you off that they're, they're not wise? We can see this in verses 14 through 16. First is bitter jealousy. That James mentions this word literally means harsh zeal. Zeal is a good thing, right? I mean, zeal for Christ, passion for truth and the church. But we know it can be bad. We have the example of the Pharisees in the New Testament. Mark 1510. For he perceived that it was out of envy or jealousy that the chief priest had delivered him up. This person, this teacher is harsh and judgmental. He puts down everyone else but himself and his particular movement. We're the only true church. Every other church, every other teacher is false. I have the select truth. Anyone that disagrees with him is a heretic. He's angry as a chip on his shoulder. Beware of that teacher and watch out for him or her. Secondly, selfish ambition. And this word that James uses here is only found here in the entire New Testament. It means party spirit. And it's defined as the self-seeking attitude bent on getting advantage and prestige for oneself or group. It's usually used in the realm of politics. It means they're factious. They, they create factions. In other words, they'll use any means to secure political power, including fraud. But it can happen in the church, too, unfortunately. The leader who wants a following will do anything to get it. We have an example of that in Acts 20, 29 and 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. It's easy to be selfish. Watch out for that. And third, James mentions what I call arrogant lies, means boastful superiority. Pride is the worst sin. It's the sin that led to Lucifer's fall and expulsion from heaven. The person thinks they're better than everyone else. They're better than the useless eaters that follow them. These leaders become tyrants and dictators. What's the sources of these behaviors? James tells us where they get their inspiration from. Firstly, the A is earthly from the earth. their are five senses, the world system that we are under. Unfortunately, a fallen human nature. Washington, D.C. and Hollywood are great examples of earthly wisdom. Unspiritual is the second word James mentions there. And our this comes from the Greek word that becomes our English word psychosis. It's soulish. It's sensual feelings, impulses, appetites, not spirit led, soulish led, sensually led, natural reasoning. First Corinthians 2.14 says the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He doesn't have that capability. He's not spirit led. He's, He's led by his impulses and appetites and flesh. And the last example, the source is the demonic. And this is the adjective is used here and only here in the New Testament. The devil is the source, the demonic, not God. Hell, not heaven. First, Timothy four, one says, now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. If you are under the teaching of Demons. You can be demonized. So we have the world, the flesh and the devil, our three enemies as a Christian, that's the source of untruth, of unwise teachers. And what are the results of following an unwise teacher? James mentioned them here. A is disorder. That's a result. Disorder, chaos, confusion. You become a double minded person. Have you ever listened to a teaching and went away more confused than you were before? This person has a gift in explaining away the clear meaning and you become deceived. They appeal to the flesh, which confuses your spirit. And B is vile practice, every vile practice, everything foul and evil, good for nothing. Nothing good comes from it. It promotes the flesh and sin. This is a teacher that will teach you, do whatever you want. It's okay. God approves. God accepts. Revelation 220, an example. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. What do you do if you're under a false teacher? You need to get out of there. If you have the courage, go and confront them. And if they repent, maybe you have won your brother or your sister. Maybe take others with you. But the main thing you need to do is extract yourself from under that person because it's going to confuse you and lead to chaos and disorder in your life. If it's a TV preacher and you just start to sense in your spirit, I'm just not sure about what they're talking about. Turn it off. If it's a book you're reading and something just doesn't jive in your spirit that you discern. Something's not quite right here. Throw it away. Don't give that book to someone else. The TV preachers, the YouTube personalities, the podcasts you're listening to. We really don't know how these people live, do we? So what I've done in the. In the. Folks that I follow or watch online is uh, if they have a long track record of good, solid doctrinal teaching and no scandals, and they've proven that over time. I give them the benefit of the doubt, and I think they're someone worthy to support. But if you yourself are in the Word, then you won't be as dependent on that TV preacher or YouTube personality. Let's talk about the wise teacher. Are there any signs for that individual, any proof, any evidence? There are 10 things, actually, that James mentions in this short passage that are there are good uh, road signs for us to look at and evaluate those that we're listening to or watching or, or under their ministry. And I will first of all want to say these are my goals. I haven't attained and arrived at any of these. I'm working at it and I'm striving for them. I want these to be in my life. Wisdom is proven by conduct. And these things aren't just good for the teachers that you're listening to. They're good for you as well. The first is good conduct. And we see that in verse 13 back there. Conduct reinforces content. The teacher practices what they preach. 1 Peter 2.12 Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The good teacher's life is going to reflect Christ. Number two, meekness. We see that in verse 13. You know, I've always thought meekness rhymes with weakness. No, thank you. But literally that word means a horse that's been broken, so it will submit to the bridle. That's what meekness means. Strength under control. This is a person that's been dealt with by God, been broken by life experiences. This is an extremely important virtue in any teacher or leader. You know what describes Moses? In Numbers twelve three, it says Moses was the most meek man on the face of the earth. And it describes Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Where he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek or gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I find it interesting that the greatest Old Testament leader, Moses, and New Testament leader, Jesus, were both considered meek. The teacher should be as well. The next virtues that James mentions are found in verses 17 and 18. If you have your Bible open, you can look there. Pure is the third. That word means Holy clean, authentic, a person of integrity. Honesty is the foundation for integrity. This person is who they say they are, right? They're, they're the same Monday as Sunday. They're the same in the dark as they are in the light. There's no secret life, no hidden scandals. And so many scandals have been in the church and it's hurt the reputation of the church and of Christianity. I think humility And purity are the most important virtues for a teacher and probably for the Christian, but especially those that have a public ministry. Are they humble? Are they pure? Those are really things I'm looking for. Number four, are they peaceable? Peaceable. That that means they're in right relationship with others. They, They live in harmony with other people. They're not always in conflict and fight. And this doesn't mean peace at any price. They're reconcilers. That, that means they stick their nose in there where it could get punched. They become mediators to try to bring people together. They want to make peace. Number five, they're gentle. That means they're considerate of the feelings of others. I think it's, there's good times for leaders to be Tough but the gentle leader can empathize with the feelings of others the followers they're able to put themselves in other people's shoes that empathy that's really important and valuable number 6 they're open to reason open to reason that means they're willing to yield they're easily entreated they're teachable they're not stubborn and obstinate they're reasonable They're open to others' opinions and suggestions. Look for that in a leader. Number seven, full of mercy. That word means pity for the undeserving. God hasn't given any of us what we deserve, but what we need. He's been merciful to us, so merciful. Should we not in turn then be merciful to others? The the teacher that is merciful does not highlight the mistakes of others. Number eight, good fruit. Their life will produce obvious good results. They'll have a proven track record. What's in their heart comes out their mouth. And Jesus himself used this measure. He said, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Living a good life will be evident to all. Number nine, impartial. They're impartial. They don't play favorites. We've already saw that in James 2.1. This word could also mean unwavering. Undivided. Doesn't vacillate. Steady, dependable, faithful. That's the kind of leader you want to follow. And number ten, sincere. That word means In the New Testament, without hypocrisy. It's a theater term. In the ancient theater, remember the masks, the smiling face, and the frowning face? And the actor would put the mask up to his face if it was a smiling part, or the frown mask if it was a sad part. And so the sincere person doesn't do that. They're not pretending, they're not a hypocrite, they're not fake. They're real and authentic. And so should we. So what is their source? What's the source of true wisdom? Heaven. From above. From God. Proverbs 2, 6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And in James 1, 5, we said, If you lack wisdom, ask God, he'll give it to you. So pray, pray for wisdom, pray to be the kind of person that James describes here. And what are the results? Verse 18, a harvest of righteousness, a good crop of good and right things comes out of your life. Teachers are always sowing seeds. So there's going to be a crop. Good teachers produce good students who live godly lives. False teachers Look, look at their students. They're usually corrupt. Jesus said this in Luke 640, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. So who you listen to, who you watch, who you read is very important because it impacts who you become. And now I understand this is a huge challenge for me and Pastor Charles and our Sunday school teachers and our our life group leaders and our children's ministry leaders. This is a huge challenge for us. Because we have to be this. We need to be this. So hold us accountable. Ask us, how are you doing, Pastor Ed? Are you having a quiet time? Are you praying? Are you in the word? We need to be asked those questions. And pray for us, certainly pray for us. Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word to you, the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for the teachers in our church. That's a that's a tough job. As we know, teaching school is a very hard job right now. And we pray for great grace for each one. That each of us, Lord, will embrace this checklist here that James says, this kind of wisdom comes from above. We want to be the Christians. We want to be the leaders and the teachers that exemplify good conduct, good character. And wisdom from above. Help us, Lord. We need your help. We're fallible. We're human. We fail. So forgive us and, and bring us back up again. And we pray for those who are caught in some kind of error. Maybe they're the teacher and they've just gone off base. Maybe, maybe they were in a good place years ago, but now they just drifted into an unholy place. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's just their doctrine. I pray that you would pull them back. And I pray, Lord, for those that are caught under teaching that is uh, soulish and of the world and demonic, Lord, that you would set them free. Lord, strengthen your church today that we might be the people of God in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's.